0: Have you ever thought about the how you hear? How you hear? And I'm not just talking with my ears. No, I'm talking about the how. Because Jesus said in Luke 8, 18, take heed how you hear. Because you know what? We can have half-eared hearing sometimes, can't we? You know, We can hear only what we want to and and miss the rest of everything. I just you know hearing hearing what we want to and we we've, we've all done that haven't we only heard what we wanted to we can um, we can act like we're hearing and not really be hearing at all and i have this incredible ability to tune brian out and i see his mouth moving and all of a sudden i realize i don't know what he's saying I, I, don't, I don't know anything that's just gone on. And how long has he been standing there moving his mouth? And then he'll say, so what do you think? And I'm like, could you just do it one more time? Because were you listening? I'm like, I can't believe I have that ability. And I don't think it's a gift. I think it might be a curse. But we can hear... But, and I would say that that's hearing, we can hear distractedly, you know, because we're thinking about so many other things. He's talking, but I'm thinking about maybe like how I need a shower or what I'm going to wear or what I need to buy at the market or what I need to clean or what I need to fold, right? Or who I need to call. I can think about all those to-dos. So he's talking But my mind is at Sprouts going, okay, don't forget the cilantro. You know what I mean? And that's what I call distracted hearing. Or I can also do like drowned out hearing. It's like I'm so not interested in anything you're saying. You know what? What do I care about cars? I just like the color. Seriously, I don't want to know how to change the oil. And I remember Brian was leaving on one of his trips and he was giving me instructions and the instruction he was giving me was the code to our alarm. But he didn't know that I never turn on the alarm when he's gone, but maybe now I will because he might hear this. <laughs> yeah, you know, because he'll say, now make sure you set the alarm before you go to bed. He's like, yeah, Okay. And so he told me all that, and um, he even gave me the code word in case, it, you know, because it again, it's, it's an alarm that's um, motion sensor, so in case it got set off, the code, and I'm like, okay, okay, yeah, thanks, 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 great, 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 great. And so anyway, my grandson came over at the time he was two, and he, he pulled out a drawer, and it, you know, it looks like a, um, like the keys to a car, and he just pressed it. And all of a sudden I was like, wow, wow, and I remembered that I other things drowned out Brian's voice when he told me the code. So I didn't know the code. And so I go down there, and it says, identify yourself. Coming out of this box on the wall. And like, I'm Cheryl Broderson. I used to be Cheryl Smith. I'm, you know, 50 years old. I live in California. Here's my address. You want my social security, zip code, anything? Say all this stuff, and they're like, no, what is the code? The code, right. Brian's a simple man. One, two, three, four. Romans 8, 28. Philippians 4, 19, um, Isaiah 40 verse 1, Isaiah four. you know, and they're like, no, no, um, Brayden, Kristen, Michael, uh, Abby, you know, I did everything, you know, I knew all the numbers, addresses, his phone number. And uh, finally they go, you said it. I said, what did I say? You're going to have to ask your husband. <laughs> and I'm like, Great. I always drown him out. But you know, there are those times that we we need to listen, but we let it be drowned out by other things that are going on. You know, maybe the television, and we're just like, uh-huh, you know? And we're just letting it be drowned out. Or we listen with this interest. We're just simply not interested in the subject matter. Oh my goodness, you're not talking about that again, You've told me this like 30 billion, zillion, kazillion, tillion, million, whatever else rhymes, times. And and I just don't want to hear this again. Or I already know this. I already know this. You know, I have a friend and her famous saying was, I have this already. I have this already. One time we were talking and I realized she was the youngest of seven girls And I said, and she was telling us how her mom would make them all matching outfits. And I said, did they pass the outfits down to you? And she said, yes. I go, no wonder you always say, I have this already. I have this already. About three hours later, she goes, Cheryl, I've been thinking about what you said. I said, what did I say? I have this already. She goes, you're right. That is why I say that all the time. It's hilarious. But we can do that. And yet, honestly, I hate it when I'm not heard. I hate it when Brian says, what? And I've just told him everything that was on my heart. What? I'm like, you were looking at your phone, weren't you? You know, you were looking at a text or you were looking at a tweet or you were looking at an Instagram. That is virtual. I am real. And I am talking right now. You know, I I did a stupid thing. Stupid, stupid thing. I gave him an iWatch for his birthday and Christmas. He turned 60. I figured, well, you know... And that's what I get. Now he can go, oh. I am coming, period, dot. You think I don't know? You think I can't see you talking to your wrist, Maxwell Smart? I know what's going on. But I really hate having to repeat my entire story After I've already told it, and the first time was the best. Second time, I don't know that I can drum up as much enthusiasm or remember the details. And yet, you know what? I do this to others, right? But oh, how I hate it when I'm not listened to. And you know what's worse? I can do this with God's Word. I can read it and then not retain it and not remember it. How we hear is a vital importance and it makes all the difference to what God's word does in our lives that how we hear Jesus uses the saying he who has ears to hear let him hear 11 times in the new testament seven of those times are in revelation and he says it to every single church he who has ears to hear let him hear this word about giving heed to how you hear is the Greek word aku, A-K-O-U. And it means to listen carefully, attentively, with a desire to comprehend and understand, to give intentional attention to. You know how it is when you're waiting for a word and how you're alert and you're watching you know we just went through christmas and i don't know about you but you know you're waiting for that person to open the present that you gave them and you're waiting for that reaction and you, and there's a word that you want like yes you know wonderful or a phrase, what I always wanted. You're the best giver ever. You're waiting for that reaction, that word. Or you're waiting for that word of instruction. You need that word. Maybe you were in class, school, and you couldn't understand and you couldn't go forward. So you're waiting for the teacher to get to you to explain it, to get that word. And you were going to listen intently so you could progress, so you would go on and you were waiting for that word. That's what it means. It's an intense expectation and attention for that word. This Greek word is used 454 times in the New Testament about hearing. It's the word that we used of Mary in Luke 10.39 when it says, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and she heard, aku, she heard him. Remember, we're told that Martha was distracted from the presence of Jesus, so she didn't hear Jesus. In fact, Jesus had to repeat Martha's name twice because she wasn't listening. Martha! Martha! He had to get her attention because she wasn't listening, but Mary heard. In Luke 8 four through 15, Jesus by way of parable, which is a story. And the word parable actually means to cast aside. And it has to do with putting one truth next to another truth. You know, a parallel explanation or a story. And so Jesus gives this story to illustrate the right way to hear And he likens it to a seed planted on different soils. He gives us three examples of the wrong way to hear. The first wrong way to hear is to hear with disinterest. This is the seed that fell on the wayside or the pathway or the hardened ground. Ground that was so hard by people trampling over it and foot traffic that nothing could penetrate it. And Jesus tells us that those who interest with disinterest, nothing can penetrate, nothing gets through, that Satan comes and he takes that word away. So it's as if never, no word ever came to that soil. The second way to hear is to hear with deceit. And Jesus likens this to the seed that falls on rocky soil that, that springs up for a while But Jesus said the minute that persecution comes or there's a testing of that word, it shrivels up and withers because it had no root. In other words, this person only received the word as long as it was beneficial, as long as it was saying to them what they wanted to hear, as long as it was gonna improve their life. But the minute a trial came or something didn't go their way, then they jettisoned the word of God. I was telling the leaders today and the group leaders meeting that just this week I was talking to a friend of mine and I was asking her about some people that used to go to Vista, our church in Vista. And she said, oh, they're agnostic. And I said, what, they're agnostic? He was in the ministry. She said, yes, but he got mad at his pastor. And when he got mad at his pastor and the way the pastor acted, he became an agnostic and his wife, Who I remember when she got saved at our church, she followed suit and became agnostic too. And you're thinking, wow, that's definitely that rocky soil, isn't it? Because when something didn't go their way, as long as everything was trial free and none of the promises of God were tested, it's great. But you see, it's only through the testing of our faith the testing of the promises that they become genuine and they become real according to first peter chapter one it's the testing of our faith that is more precious than gold so to hear with deceit thirdly is to hear with distraction this is the life that the word is only an accessory it's one word among many words and you kind of take your choice which word do i like the best today And you let the busyness and the cares of life and the desire for riches and other things grow up alongside the word. And the word actually gets choked out so that it can bear no fruit. It grows, but there's never any fruit. It's a fruitless, fruitless Christian walk. And you know, uh, we might call them carnal Christians. There are people, and you know they believe in Jesus. But there's never any fruit. There's never any progress. There's never any growth. They always have that bad temper. They always have the same trials pressing in. There's never any victory in their life. They're always under it. Always the victim. And that is the distracted fruit. That's the wrong way to hear. But there's a right way. And Jesus talks about the right way. And he says, this is the seed that falls on the noble and honest heart. And it goes in deep and takes root and bears fruit. And so it's, it's a heart or a hearing with desire. I want to hear. Have you ever come to church and you just want to hear? Like, Lord, speak to me speak to me. Or you open your Bible and say, Lord, speak to me. It's that type of desire. The one that approaches the word with the desire to hear, Lord, speak to me. Habakkuk says, Lord, I'm going to set my watch and I don't care if it's good or bad, but I've got to hear from you. I need to hear from you. That, that desire I want to hear. The next is diligence. Verses 16 and 17 of Luke chapter 8. The noble and honest heart to really listen. Willing to be corrected. Willing to have it bring light and exposure to the house. Even if it means I'm wrong. Even if it means there are things I've got to change. I am desperate for your word. And I will do whatever it takes. If I have to read, if it's going to take my time and sacrifice, I will put the diligence in. If it means I'm going to have to renounce and get rid of things, I will do that because I'm so desperate. It takes dedication. God's word has got to be a priority It can't be one word among a lot of words. It's got to be the priority. In 2017, we need to make God's word the absolute priority. The thing that is most important to our day, to be in the word of God. God's word is a priority. We invest in the promises. We we invest. We invest our time. We invest our energy we seek out those promises we speak those promises we preach those promises to ourselves and we persevere in the word of god we keep going in the word of god we do not give it up ever and then finally we need determination or faith because romans 10:17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of god that means we need to be ready to obey You know, faith is a risk, and we need to be willing to take that risk and stand in that promise, regardless of what other people are saying, regardless of circumstances. I think when it comes to determination, it means the application or the personalizing. This word is not just for everybody else. This word is for me. I am determined to stand in this word and make it a priority. And it's going to order my life. You see, it says that we are to study, to show ourselves approved. Workmen that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, putting the right scripture to the right place in our life. Have you ever had people that put the wrong scripture to the wrong place? You're like, you know, your, your cut is on your finger. So why are you putting the bandaid on your knee? You know what I'm saying? And people do that with the word of God. That's not the right scripture for your situation. This is the scripture for your situation. You know, they'll they'll take a scripture, like all things work together for the the good of them that love the Lord and called according to his purpose. That's a great scripture, but you're in sin, honey, and you need confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. You know, we need the right scripture for the right place. And that's determination. To put the right scripture at the right place. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul said to the Thessalonians, because you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. You see, how you hear will determine how God's word works in you. In verse 18, Jesus said, to those who really hear, more will be given. But to those who do not hear, even what they've heard, they'll forget. It'll be snatched away from them. To those who hear, more will be given, more promises, more fruit, more revelation. But to those who listen with disinterest, deceit, and distraction, They will not retain what they heard and everything will be taken away. No fruit and forgetfulness. Luke 8 makes a contrast between those who really heard Jesus and those who heard but didn't really listen or take it in and receive or perceive. We begin in Luke 1, 1 through 3 with certain women. I love these certain women. I love it because they're certain. They were there. They heard him preach the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And what did it do? Because they heard, we're told that one of them, Mary Magdalene, was delivered from seven demons. Her hearing resulted in deliverance from demons. We're told that because another of these women heard, she was healed of her infirmity. They came from all different walks of life. Mary Magdalene from a small village on the shore of Galilee, known for its salt factory. Joanna, she had prominence with the royalty. Her husband, Chusa, was a steward of Herod. There was Susanna and many others. And they were all brought together because they heard Jesus, because they longed to hear Jesus. And because they longed to hear Jesus, they were in the company of Jesus. Because they longed to hear Jesus, they were right with the disciples. Because they longed to hear Jesus, because they really, really heard. They were able to minister to Jesus from their substance. So whatever they had, they used it to serve and minister to Jesus. I love that because you know it says of Mary when she anointed the feet of Jesus. In Mark's gospel, it said she did what she could. You know, so many times we're saying, well, Lord, I can't do anything for you because I don't have this and I don't have that. We're limiting ourselves. But these women just used what they had to minister to Jesus. They used their time to minister to Jesus. They used their, their gifts to minister to Jesus. Maybe making food or maybe they had a, a, a little garden and they used these things or maybe they had some extra money. Whatever they had. They ministered and used it to minister to Jesus because they heard him. They gave place to the message they heard. They got in their heart and it delivered and healed, brought them together, put them in the company, traveled with the disciples, blessed and ministered to Jesus. Next in Luke 1, 19 through 21, we find Jesus' family. And they come to where he is teaching, but they're on the outside. And they ask to see him and they expect priority because they're related to Jesus. They're trusting in their heritage. But you know what? They're not hearing him. They're not listening to his words. They're like, we know the sound of his voice. We don't need to listen to his words. And aren't we like that sometimes? Oh, I know this story already. Or I saw that person. I don't need to preach. You know I remember, I've always had to compartmentalize all my life because there was Chuck who was my dad and there was Chuck Smith who was my pastor. You know, things would go on in the home, but when he stood in this pulpit, he was anointed and he was my pastor. And it didn't matter if he had spanked me that day. When he was up here, he was anointed by God and I listened. But what if I said, oh, I hear him at home all the time. You know, Actually, he didn't because he didn't talk that much at home. But I could have done that and said, I don't need to listen. But I realized there was an anointing in this pulpit. Same thing with Brian. When Brian's in this pulpit, there's an anointing on him. I might live with him every day. I might make that man's coffee in the morning. But when he's in this pulpit, he's anointed and I take notes. And I listen. Because God is speaking through him to me. And even though I'm his wife... I need to listen because that's God's word. And that's what I'm listening to. But because they were related to Jesus, they only saw him as family and said, hey, we know the sound of his voice. We're not listening to his words. You see, we can so humanize the pastor. We can so look at all the mistakes that we stop hearing God's word, even though they're in the anointed place. We need to listen to God's word. But they did not hear Jesus, and because they did not hear the words, they did not receive what He was said. They were left out on the priority. i uh, sorry, on the periphery. They did not give it priority, so they were on the periphery. They stayed on the outside. But who was allowed in? Who was? Who did Jesus call His relatives? He said, "My mother and my brothers are those who accuse." Hear the word of God and do it. These are the ones that come into relationship with Jesus Christ. Not those who are related to the pastor. Or you know as it says Jesus has no grandchildren. It's those who hear the word and do it. When we hear the word of God in our diligent to obey it. It brings us into relationship with Jesus. Bloodlines do not guarantee a relationship with Jesus. It has to be personal. You have to give diligence to hear. Moving on to the disciples, Luke 8, through 25. This is a distracted bunch of guys, isn't it? They hear Jesus say this, let's go to the other side, but they missed the words. You know, Jesus was saying, we're going to make it to the other side. He had spoken, they had listened, but I believe these guys were distracted with ministry, with busyness, with with the busyness of being Jesus' disciple, with, you know, oh, here's another crowd. Oh, there are kids trying to climb over Jesus. And, and they were in the business of ministry. There is such a danger of being in the ministry and getting preoccupied with ministry and actually forgetting why you do the things you do because, because you're distracted with the work and Jesus goes to sleep as they're crossing the Galilee. And while he's sleeping, the storm comes. The inference we can draw from this story is that we often expect Jesus to keep us from the storms. We think it's enough just to have Jesus in our life. And then there should be no storms. Who's that like? That's like the rocky soil, right? I invited him on my heart. I shouldn't have any storms in my life. But Jesus goes to sleep at times and allows the storms, the natural progressions of life and the natural consequences of life to hit our boat. And he lets us, he lets us try with all our might to get through the storm. He's waiting. I was reading in Isaiah just yesterday that it says the Lord waits that he might be gracious to us. He waits for us to call upon him. Jesus was waiting for them to wake him up, to pray, to call upon him, to say, Lord, we can't handle this storm. Do something about this. And so they wake up Jesus. And we're told in Mark chapter five that they say, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? Don't we do that sometimes? We, When we pray, instead of saying, Lord, there's a storm I really need you. So we were like, Lord, do you care about me? You know, why'd you allow this in my life? But we've let him sleep. We haven't called upon him. It's only after we've exerted all our energy and our strength and we've exhausted all our friendship and the storm is still upon us that finally we go, well, maybe we should pray. And then we're upset that God allowed us to get this far down or to go through all this. But this is what I see. Jesus rises up. He calms the storm. There's an instant calm, a great calm. And he looks at the disciples and he asks this probing question that I have to ask myself in every storm or the aftermath of every storm, where is your faith? Where's your faith? Where was my faith? And I look at these guys and they were putting their faith in maybe... The fact that they were disciples, so they shouldn't have to go through hardship or trials. Maybe they, they were putting it in the boat. You know, well, old Susanna's gotten me across the Galilee. You know, many a time. But now we're told that the boat's filling with water and they were in jeopardy. Maybe they had it in each other. We see from the Gospels that they seem to be in competition with each other because they're always arguing about who's the greatest. And John and James even get their mom to approach Jesus and say, Can you give it by the right hand and left hand to my son so they can sit on both sides of you in your kingdom? And all the other disciples begin to complain about James and John getting their mother to do their dirty work. They could have had it in their experience. They were raised on the sea. If anyone knew the sea, these Galileans knew the the climate, the attitude, the personality of the Galilee, maybe about their education because they were reared on the sea. But maybe they had it in the storm itself. Sometimes we have more faith in the obstacles that are in our way. We have more faith in the things that are against us. In the curses of the devil. Than we do in the promises of God. Yeah, sometimes that's us. You know, we're just like, we have so much faith in our problems rather than in the Lord who has given us the promises. But the Lord allowed the storm, why? Because they weren't hearing him before. And you know, sometimes it takes a storm before we begin to listen, doesn't it? David says in Psalm 119, it was good that I was afflicted because before I was afflicted, I went astray. But the storms make us wake up And show us that we need Jesus and we need to listen to him. And that's exactly what happened. This storm awoke the disciples. And now they were listening to Jesus. And when he stood on the bow of that boat and said, peace be still, they heard his word. They heard it. And they noted the power of his word. They noted the power the result, the ramifications of his word. You see, sometimes we need storms in our life because we're not hearing Jesus. And we need the storm so we, you know, it wasn't Jesus that needed to be awakened. It was the disciples. They needed to wake up and hear Jesus again because they had begun to drown him out with their own self-importance, uh, with their with their own he, uh, something. But they had begun to drown out the Lord. But now they cared about what Jesus said, and they felt the power of his word. They get to Gadara, where there's a demon-possessed man, verses 26 through 40. And this is like a radically demon-possessed man. I think the disciples were cowering in the boat going, go ahead, Jesus. Tell us how it's done. We're watching you. Good job. And Jesus gets out of the boat. And this is a man who's naked. He's filthy. He's tormented. We're told in Mark's gospel that he would cut himself and scream that he had been shackled. um, but he would break the shackles and nobody could control him. And now he's coming at Jesus. And we're told that Jesus looks at the man and speaks to the demons and says, come out of him. And the demon speaks and says, have mercy on me. Don't send us to the abyss. And they're begging Jesus. And they asked Jesus, please send us to the pigs. And Jesus said, what is your name? And they said, Legion, for we are many. Legion would represent somewhere around a thousand demons in this one man. Can you imagine how tormented? No wonder he cut himself. No wonder he lived among the tombs. No wonder he could not be restrained. No wonder he was naked. He just, he couldn't stand anything on him, constantly tormented. I I remember, this is a bad illustration. I'm gonna use it anyway, because I'm up here. But my daughter had chicken pox. And I remember all my kids got chicken pox. And my, my one got it just hardly at all. My son just barely got it. It was a light case. But then my daughter, Kristen, got it. And I remember it was in her hairline and it was inside her ears and it was on the roof of her mouth. It was just everywhere. And my calm, passive daughter felt like she was coming out of her skin. I mean, everything that touched her skin was just so, it just so irritated her. And I remember just that torment. And I I think of this, this is more than chicken pox. This is torment. He's absolutely one. Thousand demons. I mean, one demon was taking this young boy that we'll read about and study later, and throwing him into the fire and throwing him into the water and trying to kill him. But this is a thousand of these tormenting, cruel, merciless demons inhabiting this man. And Jesus sends the demons to these pigs, which, of course, we know is the first. Mention of deviled ham ever, (laughs) and they run wildly and plunge into the Galilee and drown. The man is delivered and transformed, and we told we're told that he is sitting, clothed and in his right mind, pacified at the feet of Jesus. And when the people of the town come out and see this man, they're terrified, and they send Jesus away. And the man begs to accompany Jesus. But Jesus says, no, I'm going to have you stay here. And I want you to go back to your people and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. Never do you send an addict back to the place where they received their addiction. But this man is so transformed, so different. And he's going to go back with the testimony. And Mark's gospel again tells us that Jesus says, tell them how the son of man has had compassion on you. Tell them about my compassion. Tell them about my love and about my greatness and the transformation. Give them your testimony. Now here in this story, we have three different receptions to the word of God, don't we? We have the demons who knew the reality of the word, but gave it no reception. They, they knew it was the word of God, but they were still in rebellion to it. They knew they, they were compelled, they were driven to obey it, but they hated it so much that God's word threw, it drowned them. You've got the people that were terrified of the word of God, didn't want to receive it because it exposed their sin. They were raising pigs in a kosher neighborhood and it exposed that and they didn't want any more exposure because they wanted everyone to think they were decent people see before they could say he's bad we're good by comparison but now that he's pacified he's transformed and he's so changed now their sin is showing and they want to cover it up and they care more about their image and they're terrified by the word of God so they don't want to receive it and what do they do they send it away But this man who received the word of God is transformed. He's pacified. He's rested. He's given a testimony and he's given a commission by Jesus. He's one of the first preachers. One of the first missionaries in the Bible. And this is what happens. Because he hears the word of Jesus. He hears it. Moving on. In verses 43 through 48, we have a diseased woman. She spent all her money, all her energy on different remedies to get better. For 12 years, she's been in a condition that has left her weak and anemic and unclean in that culture. But she hears, she hears that Jesus can help her. And because she hears, she does something about it. She's diligent to seek him out and she's determined to touch the hem of his garment. And so she makes her way through these crowded streets and she goes down low and she reaches out and she brushes against the hem of his garment and immediately she's made well, immediately. And she's ready just to leave, but Jesus stops in the middle of that crowd And he said, who touched me? Peter looks at him and says, Lord, who touched you? Who didn't touch you? You're being thronged by the multitude. And if you go to Israel with us in May, not that I'm plugging it or anything, but you'll see how very narrow those streets were. And when it says Jesus was being thronged and you understand how narrow those streets were and he's trying to make his way through with this, father this desperate father Jairus and how people are thronging him and impeding his progress and how difficult it must have been for that woman to make her way to Jesus but she was determined and then Jesus stopping and all the ruckus of city noise he stops in the midst of that says who touched me for I perceive that virtue or healing has gone forth from me and you might say well Jesus is God how did he not know because he was also fully man. And in Philippians chapter two, we're told that he emptied himself and became like a man, lived with men's restrictions, just depending on the Lord. And this was something that hadn't yet been revealed to him. But listen to this, Jesus stopped at the touch of faith. Think of how many people were grasping and touching Jesus, and it made no difference to Jesus. It was as if he didn't feel anything. People are pushing, they're shoving. Remember how we studied a few weeks ago, how he told Peter to keep the boat ready. So if the multitude began to crush him, he could get on the boat and get away from the crowd so he could preach from them from the water and keep that safe distance. And these people are touching, they're thronging, they're pushing, they're pulling, they're grabbing at him. I had some friends that years ago, they got, um, they were crying and crying on Christmas. They got these presents and all they did was cry. This was the 70s. They couldn't stop crying. Their father says, what's the matter with you? And they're like, Donny Osmond lives and we haven't been able to see him. So the dad's like, you don't like any of the, they were hoping to get Donny Osmond concert tickets. And instead they got, you know, clothes and Great things, And the father's like, that's all you wanted. And they're like, that's all we wanted. So the father gets them tickets to the Donny Osmond show. He drives them to Las Vegas. They listen to Donny Osmond. They come out and they're sobbing. They were front row tickets with their sobbing. What's wrong now? We didn't get to touch him. And so the father says, okay, great. So he bribes the security guard. The security guard takes them back to Donny Osmond. Donny Osmond comes out of his room my one friend screams and faints and her sister grabs Donnie and starts kissing him all over. So five security guards grab her, grab the sister and take, him, take them out. And they're in the car screaming and crying all the way home from Las Vegas. But you see, that's what fans do, right? They grab out, they scream, they want a part of, but they really don't care about the person. And there were those thronging, but this is a different touch. This is the touch of faith. You see, Jesus is arrested. He stops for the prayer of faith. He knows there's a difference. There's a difference with the prayer of faith. The prayer that believes in the person of Jesus. The prayer that has invested in Jesus. The prayer that says, Lord, you are my only hope. You are the one I'm trusting in. You are the one who can make me well. That's the faith. And that's the prayer. That's the touch that stops Jesus. And that's, that's the touch that virtue proceeds out of the Lord and works. It's the touch of faith. Faith. This woman believes, adds diligence, dedication, determination, deliberation. In her unhealthy, weak, impoverished state, she finds Jesus. He calls her out, and he calls her forward, and she confesses all. She testifies. She brings everything into the light. And what does Jesus do? She confesses, I was unclean. I shouldn't, be in, I shouldn't have been in this crowd. I shouldn't have been reaching out to touch you, but you were my only hope. What does he do? He says, daughter. Daughter. It's a relational term. You see what has happened? Mary and the brothers have been outside, but this woman, this unclean woman, this outcast has been brought in. And it's relation. Daughter. She is dignified. She's brought into relation. Next, she's honored. Jesus says, be of good cheer." There's no condemnation. Coming into the light has not condemned you. It's given you joy. And finally, she's commended. Oh, no, not finally, almost. Commended by Jesus, your faith has made you well. In other words, everyone needs to show this type of faith that this woman has just shown. This is the type of faith that works. And finally, she is blessed by Jesus because he says, go in peace. Go in peace. Go in rest. You did what is right. It was the right thing. This is the expectation of those who hear the word with desire, diligence, dedication, and determination. There is the dignifying, being brought into a relationship with Jesus. There is the honor, no condemnation. There is the commendation. This is the right faith, the example to others. And there is the blessedness. Go in peace. Finally, we're at Jairus and the mourners. Luke 8, 41 through 42, 49 through 56. Jairus is a ruler in the synagogue. He risks all to find Jesus because his only daughter, who is 12 years old, is on the brink of death. He humbles himself in the midst of this thronging crowd, falls on his feet, and acknowledges his need. Lord, my daughter is on the brink of death. Come and touch her and she will live. He worships Jesus. And you know, it's interesting because the gospels record Jairus falling at the feet of Jesus and asking Jesus to come heal his daughter as worship. When we come to Jesus and we fall in on his feet and we admit our problems, we admit our deficits, we admit that we need his help and we ask him to come into our problems, come into our life, come into our home, it's worship. And Jesus goes with his father. But on the way, they're met by a servant from the house who says, don't trouble the master any longer. Your daughter is dead. Don't you love people like that? She's dead. There's no hope for this situation. You know, don't seek Jesus. There's, you know, let that guy go on. You're, he can't do anything for you. And Jesus looks at Jairus and he says, do not be afraid, only believe. Now Jairus has a choice at this time. Is he going to believe the word of Jesus, which would mean hearing Jesus, giving diligence and dedication and determination to this word? Or is he going to believe the word of the servant? The word you might call it of reality, the word of the circumstances or of appearances. What word is he going to believe? Remember how earlier we talked? Sometimes we have more faith in it's dead, it's over, the threat of our circumstances. But Jairus makes a choice to hear Jesus, to hear his word. To let the word of Jesus and the promise of Jesus drown out every other word. And so he continues with Jesus. And they come to the house and there are mourners outside this house crying and, you know, about Jairus' daughter dying. And Jesus says to the mourners, don't weep. She's only sleeping. Don't you love these sincere people? Because they begin to laugh and mock and scorn. And we're told that Jesus sends them away. And he takes only Peter and James and John and the parents into the room of this little girl. And in Matthew's gospel, we're given the exact words Jesus said, Talitha Kumai, or little maiden arise. This little girl hears the word of Jesus. And she responds to that word. And she gets up. And she's alive. And Jesus turns to the parents and he says, feed her. She's really, really alive. I think the parents were like, what? What? If somebody had to give him the practical next step. Make food. Feed child. She is alive. I remember one time, this is a terrible story. Um, Char was... Um, A week old, and I brought him home from the hospital. And I was about to give him his bath, and I had him at the kitchen sink, up on the counter. And my little daughter, um, Kristen at the time, who's my big old daughter now, no, small old daughter. Anyway, she pulled on the blanket, and Char fell on the floor. And I started screaming, "He's dead! He's dead! He's dead!" You know, because I'm not a reactor. And Brian came running in the kitchen, going. Cheryl, if he was daddy, wouldn't be crying. Pick up the baby. I'm like, oh yeah, pick up the baby. Finish bath. You know, sometimes somebody has to say, they're alive. Go to step two. Feed the child. Feed the child. And you know, I was so like, well, couldn't even go to step two. I've matured since then. Kind of, sometimes. I they say, yeah, they're 33 and 35. Go ahead, pull them off the counter, see if I care. But you know what word? You know what word are you going to believe? They had to feed. They, they, the word was fulfilled. The word was fulfilled before them. It was time to feed the child. J. Iris made a choice to hear the word of Jesus above all other words. Now Jesus tells the parents not to tell. Now, isn't it interesting that the man of Gadara is told to go back and tell others? But these parents are like, don't bother with the mockers. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 6, do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under feet and turn and tear you into pieces. Jesus' words would be wasted on those who do not want to hear Years ago, um, and I mean many years ago, I was 13 years old and I had the greatest Bible in the world. It had like a suede cover, and I absolutely loved this Bible. It was given to me by my mom. And I was out um, with another woman in a group and we were witnessing in Lahaina. And this one woman was talking to this man and he just didn't want anything. He was saying naughty words, really awful, blasphemous things. And all of a sudden she turned to me and she said, Give me your Bible. And I said, no, no, please, not my Bible, not my Bible. She said, give it to me now. It wasn't my mother. Give me that Bible. And she grabbed the Bible out of my hands and she gave it to this man. And he said, she said, here, you need this. And he took my Bible and he tore it in half. And I did, I cried, I had that. I was, I'm a reactor. I just cried so hard and he began just to tear up my Bible and throw it on the ground. And I was picking up the parts of my Bible remember and it still bugs me to this day and I remember going back to the hotel and saying mom you know this person made me give my bible away and here it is he tore it up and my mom says we're gonna find a better bible but you can't find a better bible than the bible but you know she bought me another bible but I still remember how he treated the word of God and it hurt me so much my grandson Cade he was six and my son goes to colleges and he shares the gospel at colleges. He's a professor of science, so he really has a great presentation. And they had this, he was doing it with Lou Wing, who is also a a professor of science, a great apologist. And they had this table set up and they were giving away free pizza. And it said, ask us any Bible questions or questions about life. And my grandson came back from that and he said, grandma, there's so many people that don't want Jesus. Jesus why don't people want Jesus? And when he was saying that, it was just breaking my heart. And I'm like, because they're stupid. It's a grandma answer. But I remember his heart, you know, but there are some people that it just is so wasted, the precious things. What God is doing in your life, these pearls, these jewels, they just don't understand. And they'll trample them. They'll make fun of you instead of appreciating and Jesus knows the difference and as we hear his word we will be able to discern and make the difference who's ready who's in a storm of life who needs this word who is so desperate that they're reaching out for a touch and those who are standing on the periphery and those who are following close who's ready for the word of God From the people of Luke chapter 8, we learn not only how to hear, but the fruit and consequences of not hearing, and the fruit that is born when we do hear. Those who don't hear are left outside the promises of God, have no relationship to Jesus. They're terrified of Jesus. They send him away. They receive nothing from their thronging and their touches and their persistence. And they mock at his word and know nothing of his power and are never brought into the treasury of what Jesus does. But those who hear with desire want to hear with diligence, giving attention to what they're hearing, dedication, probing to understand, determination, applying and obeying what they hear, have a relationship to Jesus like these certain women, have revelation like the disciples on the boat, have rest because our storms are calmed, And we're delivered and transformed. Have restoration. Have a testimony. Have a commission. Have renewal. Healed and commended and acknowledged and blessed. Have a resurrection. Things that relegated to death are now brought to life. We need to pray that we might really, really hear the word of God that we might receive it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectively works in us. That's what we need. May we not be so familiar with it that we tune it out. May we not be so disinterested in it that we just relegate it to other words May we not listen with deceit that we only like the promises that tell us everything's going to work out and not the promises that show us where we need to change our life. May we receive it all in truth and let the word of God do everything it's meant to do in our hearts and our minds and our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we pray by your Holy Spirit, by your power Lord, that you would open our ears, Lord Jesus, that there would be a direct auditory canal that would not only connect to our mind and tell us what we're hearing, but Lord, that you'd make a new canal that would go straight to our heart, that we would believe and receive and be changed and renewed and restored and resurrected by what we hear. Lord, that your word would have such an impact on our lives, Lord. Lord, make us hearers and doers of the word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.